The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Welcome, everybody. I'd like to welcome Richard Morrison from Derry. Uh, Richard is actually living in Galway at the moment now in Ballinasloe, but he's originally from Derry and maybe further afield. We'll get into that. So Richard is a member of Paranormal Supernatural Investigation Ireland. So welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks very much, Simon, for having me. Good. How are you? How are you keeping? Keeping very well. As you know, it's a busy time of the year. So Christmas time around the corner and obviously with the current restrictions just being eased it's uh it's been hectic i should say the last few days yeah and you you're in Ballinasloe, so how has the lockdown been in Ballinasloe? uh personally from my own perspective it really hasn't affected us because uh well my partner works from home and um i basically i'm in retail food retail so it doesn't affect me so that way we're we're not affected if that makes sense it's just a normal day-to-day runnings i should say Right. Okay. And uh, how many, how long, should I say, have you been in Ballinasloe? Oh, uh, Ballinasloe, about going on to just a year and a half here in Ballinasloe, but I've been living in Galway for seven years. Right, right. And and obviously I'm in Madrid. What's the weather like today there in, in Ballinasloe? Just typical grey, rainy, just your normal <laughs> Irish day, I suppose. Yeah. Winter's here, day. here it's sunny, but it's gone very cold where, because Madrid is is in the mountains and I live closer to the mountains. So yes. in the winter, it gets very cold, yes. really, really warm in the summer, but very cold in the winter. You know, it's, it's very similar to temperatures you'd get in, I suppose, in London, because I had a Spanish friend who lived in Madrid. Yeah. It gets very cold too in the winter, but very yes. warm in the summer. Yeah. Very, uh, yes, yes. very similar to London. Yes, yes, yes. So, so Richard, we're, we're going to talk a little today about your, your paranormal investigations and your team there. Um, but let's let's go back a little like to your early life as such. So you I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're from Derry. So yes. where were you born? What, what town were you or city were uh, you born I was, in? Uh, born in Dublin. And my father's side's from uh, Kilkenny, mother's side's from Derry. So they moved up to Derry when I was about three, three and a half. And um, and obviously, I don't know if you're. Oh well, I don't know if you remember the recession back in the eighties. Mm, so yes. that pushed a lot of people out of Ireland uh, over to England. Vice versa, mm. my parents moved to England. Um, I was obviously settled in school, and then I was I was obviously carried on my education with my grandparents. But I was in London four or five times a year, and because I was established and set up there, I just we just continued on with the system. And then uh, my parents, as I said, they lived in London. I moved over. I moved over, and I was eighteen. So I stayed there for 14 years, got a bit of experience working and um, had my family, which I wanted to bring back to Ireland, which I feel that's the best place to bring up kids, Ireland, considering right. London is a, a, city, a, a big cosmopolitan city. So I'm thinking for kids, it's not very good, you know, so I bring yes, it back yes. a little bit more of a slower pace of life for them. Oh, very good. Very good. And you never lost the accent? No, never. I suppose it's uh, his mellow compared to if I go back up again, you'd hear the difference, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably it's a lot stronger. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, yes. Uh, But I mean, we're in the the pub having a few drinks. I'm sure it gets a little bit, it gets (laughs) gets back a bit loose. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. 
I'm the same when I'm, um, you know, when I'm here and I'm working or whatever, I'm talking, you know, in English. And and then if I'm talking to my mates at home, my wife said, I always know when you're talking to your Irish friends because you become more Irish. And that's it. You're like, it. you know, it, it's like the, the the brogue comes back. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you speak Spanish yourself? Simon? For sure. Uh, oh. Do you speak I, Sp- I do speak Spanish. Yeah. But, oh, but the thing is, I worked. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. Yeah. No, Ask sorry, me again. Good. Sorry. Yeah. No, I said that's very good. You speak Spanish, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't need to speak Spanish a lot because I work here as a music and an English teacher as well. So I speak a lot in English. But yeah, in, in my kind of social life, and my wife is Polish, but so we don't speak Spanish in the house, but my okay. kids are fluent. They're better than me in Spanish. Right. But uh, yeah, I get by. I'm, I'm pretty okay, you know, after seven years. Yeah. So yeah. tell us, um, Richard, so would you say, like for you looking back at your early childhood that Derry is the place you've lived more of your life or London? What would you say? Oh, no, it'd be Derry for my younger life. Yes, Derry would have been from three to well, three and a half to 18 years old. I left literally three days after my birthday, my 18th birthday to go to London. Uh, they set up to get a job with my father. So uh, funny enough, it's about... Uh, 15, 15 years I lived in Derry, 14 years in London. Yeah. So by a year, I lived longer in Derry. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit longer. But, yeah. you know, it's funny when you live in a place and you grow up there, that kind of puts its stamp on you, doesn't it? Correct. I was, you just I took the words in my mouth. Yeah. yeah that kind of solidifies who you are as a person, I suppose. From a, As a kid, we all know as a child anyway you are becoming the making of what you're going to be when you're older. So I suppose, yeah, it all relates back to Derry. Yeah. You know, going into the paranormal, when did you have your first kind of experience of something like, oh, what, what, you know, were you, were you a child when that happened or what? Uh, what yes. Happened yes. Uh, when I was uh, five years old, I would say that I would have had my first uh, paranormal encounter, I should say. And that was, that's, I mean, as I get older, I still try to assess what actually happened, um, you know, because it's it's a memory that still sticks to me to this day. I'm 41 years old, and I can just remember that like as if it was last week. Uh, I still remember the whole build up to the actual occurrence. And then, and when I say build up to the occurrence, it was prior to what, when it happened. It was two weeks ago. My grandfather had a great grandfather, I should say, had to go into hospital for an operation. I uh, was very close to my great grandfather, um, and I don't know. Even at five, even coming to think about it, I have got children myself, and to hear a five-year-old, if I, my own five-year-old, say this, I'd be kind of shocked. But I remember saying to my great grandfather, "If you ever died, would you ever come back and visit me?" And he said, "Of course, of course, I would." And I know it was only a space of a few weeks when I mentioned this. He had to go in the the hospital for a routine. It was just a, a routine operation, I believe. Um, but the surgeon, we found out later on that the surgeon was, uh, he was an alcoholic and uh, he had sh- very, sh- his hands were shaking basically and he cut, he severed one of the main, one of the arteries and obviously my great grandfather uh, hemorrhaged on the surgery table. So anyway, that, but as I say, a couple of weeks after his death, I just remember waking him up out of the, out of the middle of the night, no apparent reason, just to wake on up. I looked over at my bedside table and I remember seeing this sort of a silhouette of a green, a luminous figure of a person. There was no face there, but it was definitely a person, a body figure. You could see it, but I just couldn't get, I, I didn't, couldn't see a visual face on it. So 
obviously as a young child, I put the blanket straight over my head and I remember yeah. sleeping on it. You, you were very scared. Very scared, yes. And I remember, pitting, I remember, let's say, breathing under the blanket, very uncomfortable, breathing in your own breath after a while. But I just gave myself a little enough bit of air where I could get a bit of fresh air. But I remember telling my grandmother the next morning, not my great mother, this is my, her, that would have been her father, uh, that... Of what I what I actually experienced, and straight away, oh, you're dreaming. It's only a dream. It's only a dream, and I think that's what happens to a lot of children. That we all seem to pit dreams or excuse. It's something that your imagination. That's just to forget about it. So as the day went on, it's you still remember what happened that previous night. So that was okay. Then you do start to accept that might have been a dream later on during the day, but then the following night, the same exact uh, event happened again i got the same where i woke up out of my sleep no apparent reason again looking over and the same figure same it's like as if it was uh repeat repeat rep, like repeat from the previous night told the exact same thing again to my grandmother again it's just a dream but i knew deep down now this wasn't a dream but i just have to accept it and my grandmother being a religious woman herself you know wouldn't actually be a big great believer and ghosts and all you know yes but she believes yeah, supernatural in, it's stuff, supernatural yeah. that's the word um so that was very hard to persuade my grandmother about that so and, and can, can, can i ask you the figure you saw did it move or was it stationary or like uh, you know did it approach you no it was actually very stationary but it was facing the direction of my side so my bed was sidewards to the dressing unit and it was sitting uh, vertically straight to the bed so and 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 I'm going to be honest now because this even gets more interesting. Even when it was in a sitting position, it was very tall. You could tell it was a tall uh, figure from the height where the, the where the mirror. And I don't know if you remember the old vest, those old dr chest of drawers with the glass, just like a glass mirror above the old oak. You know, oh yeah, old, yeah, old, uh, yeah. Could, could swing swing around maybe. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. um, and then and that's so that was. That's when I looked at that, and I always remember that was quite that was quite um, an experience. But getting back now, see, I can't pit exact dates, date Simon. But then the other no, I understand. Uh, this this would have happened now after this happened. So a couple of weeks or months, maybe after this, I'm walking down to the toilet. Uh, our toilet was way at the other side of the house, so you'd have to go all the way down the stairs, all the way through the living room to the kitchen. It was right at the back of the house, and um, I remember literally. Looking up at the little clock, and to this day, I remember it was the red face with the white little handles, and I believe it was around about after three in the morning. This was, and all of a sudden, I just literally got something thrown in the back of my head and uh, fell to the floor. And I looked, and it was a spoon, a little teaspoon, a little like it was one of the old fashioned ones with a spade, looked like a spade for sugars. And um, I <laughs> I was that frightened. I actually turned around and ran straight up to my bed, and I didn't even. I was that frightened. I didn't even have to go to back to the. I didn't have to go to the toilet anymore because it took the fright. The fright took it away. The urge, I should say. So I told my grandmother again. I got and saying, "Oh, that was one of your uncles," because my uncle was about twenty-one at the time he was there, and um, she like, "There's no way in there." I mean, it was pitch black in the night. There's just no way that that could have happened with my uncle because I. And it, it would be a very strange thing for someone to do at that time of the morning. Correct, correct. And as I said, it was I had to go down, turn every light as I was going down. So there was nobody up at that time of night. It was it was dead of the night. Uh, and then as it, this all kind of went quiet then. And then when I started going into my teenage years, it started picking up again. You felt that, you know, it was something was more drawn to you. Yes, 
Yes, yes. But you see, I have a, I have a personal feeling that there was there was different different um, entities, I should say. Entities, okay. To this day, I pit down to the, the green. I'm still assuming that the green figure is my grandfather. I'm just holding that because I think that was very coincident that this happened a couple of weeks after my great-grandfather died. But the incident with a spoon, uh, I feel that that was, that was something that wasn't... Um, connected to what I experienced the first time. Uh, and this, and, and that same house too. I mean, th- there was times I was waking up at night and I would actually hear, now this, this might sound crazy to you, I would hear um, scenarios in the house where, again, it's the dead of the night, but it's like as if I'm hearing a complete different, it's like as if I've opened up another room and you can hear voices and noises down, and then there's no one downstairs. Everyone's in bed and you can hear the Hoover, that for example, the Hoover, someone hoovering downstairs in the living room. And at, at early in the morning. Exactly. Someone, and I give you another example, it was like someone had a beer can and threw it into the toilet because you could hear the clink off the toilet. So I was hearing all of these sort of events at night and there's just impossible. There was nobody in the house doing it. And, and did, did you feel, you know, at that age, did you think, okay, am I dreaming or is no. this real or no, this, what? This, you this, didn't feel yeah, that? No, I was pure wide awake because... The adrenaline that you get when you hear that, it's, I suppose even to this day to experience it, it'd be like you sleeping in the middle of the night and you're hearing somebody breaking in your front door. You're awake you're, and you're full of adrenaline. And that's exactly You're it. alert. You're exactly, alert. alert. Uh, so that's the exact word. The, the funny thing is with kids, obviously, they're more open-minded and they're, you know, they're, I suppose, in, in another way, if, it's some, if, there, if there is some kind of an entity, they're maybe they're more vulnerable too. Um, and th- what I was going to ask you there was, was your grandfather, did he believe in supernatural stuff or like, was he religious? You don't know. I don't, I don't know about the belief of supernatural. I was only five at the time and I don't, and then from what I gathered as I got older, uh, he would have been just your fairly, fairly level religious person. He wouldn't have been like, like we always said, my grandmother, God love her. She's still alive anyway, but as I always had a joke, we said, if she didn't have the family, she would have been a nun. And uh, vice versa, the end of my grandfather, you know, if he done my family, he would have been a priest. They come from that older generation of where the the chapel is their, or, you know, their their focus. I should say of a family unit. It's funny you mentioned the chapel because I'd never really had um, like I don't I I might I've might have had things that scared me when I was younger. But there's one thing I always remember, and when I tell this story to people nowadays they don't believe me they think it's like but once me and my brother went into a church in the the town we were living in and at that i think it was that time i i like my mother lives in Curfin, but it wasn't Curfin church i think it was in kildare when i was living in kildare and we basically went into the church in the middle of the day and the church was empty you know like those moments you go in and there's nobody in the church so we walked in and uh, you know maybe i was five and he was about 10 but when we when we went in, we saw this black hand appearing from behind the altar, like like rising like that. Like it was like somebody wore the blackest glove. And it wasn't like a black person's hand. It was like the blackest glove. Um, and it just came up from behind the altar as if so. And it wasn't like somebody, you know, the way if you're if if the priest or somebody was down there and they put their hand on the altar to they help pull themselves, themselves up. up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't like that. It was like it just started appearing up. 
And I remember we saw it and it scared the shit out of us and we ran. And to this day, I've never, ever, I've always wondered, what the hell was it? Was it somebody that was working behind the altar with a glove on? Was there some kind of explanation? But as a child, I mean, you don't get explanations at no, all, do you? No, 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 Simon. And that's uh, funny you say that because as you get older, you try to think you can dissect the situation because you be, your brain becomes a little bit more mature and you think, oh, it was just a little this or that. But, but, but Simon, I wanted to get back again the, this experience because yeah. I don't want to distract myself away from it but yeah, again as I said when I was getting into the teenage years of life now I'm probably 14, 15 the same same situation happened again I'm in my bed I wake up now remember I told you two nights in a row when I was around about five or six five at five yes. sorry I should five and you, I said it was by the dressing table this time the same green uh, figure was standing at the bottom of my bed. And I mean, when I say standing, his head was up to the ceiling. And that's when I knew this is the same exact same uh, entity that I've witnessed again when I was younger. <laughs> and I'm 14 and a half and I literally got out of my bed and I bolt, I jumped out and ran right through it. And I remember running into my, my, my grandparents' room and I told them exactly what happened. And I, and I was a big fella at the time. Big, you know, I wasn't yeah, young then. And yeah. I, I, I slept on my grandmother's floor. And I remember her making a little joke then. Oh, try, oh what? you actually ran through it too then? Because I had to run, go through to get out yeah. the door. Yeah, and so that was just her little way of joking, and I and I even to this day she's like she's eighty four, she's eighty four now, and every time I pick the phone up, and obviously with the current um, restrictions, you know, I'm on phone calls talking there now with the COVID. Uh, I always say there, and I always once in a while I will blame blend that in there, and I'll say, do you not remember when I used to tell you about this? And she, do you know what? No, she doesn't actually now come back with the remarks that she did when she was younger. It's like as if she's certainly accepted whether either. He has to be saying some, something happened, do you know? Because I still tell her about the spoon. I tell her about the answers waking up and seeing this green, luminous figure there. And the last one, now I want to say to you, I'm in that living room on a Sunday night. And do you, do you remember a program called Heartbeat? It used to be on Sunday yes, night. Yes, I, right? I do. I do, yes. It was, yeah. it was either Songs of Praise was on or I changed over to Heartbeat, whatever, one or the other. Or no, the Antique Roadshow, I should say. The Antique Roadshow was one of those. All the BBC and ITV programming. That's yeah. correct. So I remember sitting there. And I still remember it was one of those programs I was watching, and it was a, it was actually a, a spring or summer evening because it's still daylight, and they were down. They went down to I believe it or not, they were asking me to come down. I was fifteen, sixteen at the time to go for a drive down to Bunkrana, down down Donegal there, and I said no, I'd be just sit here and watch the TV. So sitting there, and the two switches, and as to this day, the two light switches literally go. Tune, 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 tune. And when that's doing that, the lights are going off and on. It's not even the lights. It's not the lights going off. That's okay. That could be saying that's electrical. But they hear the switches going, tune, 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 tune. And that's like, ah, uh, I ran Yeah, out. because they have, they have to be physically manipulated. Correct. That's exactly what it was. And you could hear the switches turning off and on. And that's when I just I said, uh, this is ridiculous. I got up and just ran out. So again, I haven't done my friends. So I waited until they came back from their little day trip. What, was that the same house? Same house, yes. See, the house is very old too. The house is very old, Simon. It's over 200 odd years old, that house. So so you think there was a bit of a history maybe in the house too? I do believe that, yes. And um, that house, believe it or not, like I said, my grandfather, God love now, he's passed. He's passed on. Like um, The house is still there. My grandmother now is in a, a, not an old person's home. It's more of a, a self-independent, but it's in the ground. Yeah, yeah. So, but she's got her little bungalow. But the, and 
one thing she asked, I should come up and I tell you what, even when I walk into that house, even to this age, Simon, I, I, on my own, I still get the, the heebie-jeebies going in there on my own. Like, it's like, you think that as you get older, these things go away from you, but they don't. Because I walked in there and <laughs> who was it? Uh, I had a friend, again, it was in my 30s at the time, and I had a friend on the street that was still living there. And I come, on, come up, he said, didn't, didn't tell him what was wrong, but I made an excuse, well, I'll sit down and have a few cans or whatever. And um, yeah, I slept. But because I, I wouldn't, I still I wouldn't even like to sleep in that house we own to this day. No, it's not that I was getting any physical harm or anything like that. It's just the fact that it was just very frightening. There was no explanation why these things were happening. Yeah, well, I, I think I think it's you know it's um, you had you had an energy there and things happened. So it was it, you know it could be a bit of your memory, but you felt intimidated by the energy in the house, didn't you? A little bit. Yes, I did, Simon. But then you see, remember I explained you I was living in London. Yeah. Uh, so again, I was having strange occurrences in a house in London. So I don't know. Again, this is either related to where I was in Derry or whether it's another house. Could- that that's something. Obviously, you know, when you when you read about um, people who are have a lot of these occurrences, sometimes you know people can say, "Oh, that house is haunted," or "There's something wrong with this place." But maybe a lot of the time it's drawn to one person, and no matter Correct. where they go. And, and do you know what, Simon? I'm very glad you just mentioned that because us now, today, speaking as paranormal investigators, we believe it's got nothing to do with the house. It's got to do with energy, and it's got to do with the energy, first of all, on the land. What's what events have happened on land? Okay, it might, and another thing you're going to say about the house, it might be just an unfortunate case of events where the house is built on a land where there's bad energy on mm, that ground. Mm, uh, and again, yeah. comes down to the person too. The person could be attracting certain spirits. So like you're getting, for me, example, where I was living in previously, Derry, then I moved to London. But the, the events I got in London now were quite sinister. They were now, because this house was a Georgian house, uh, I think it was Victorian or George. It was a very old house again. And um, I used to see in the corner of my eye, I used to see this little black dot all the time floating like in the living room. And I would try to turn, it's gone all the time. And I just would see this all the time. And I, one night I was in bed sleeping and there was this biscuit jar I left on top of the stairs. Don't know why, I just, I never got around. It's just a big biscuit jar. And you know the bottom of the biscuit jar where it's so thick? It's like a pint glass, you know, the thickest point. So I woke up, I not woke up, I was lying actually, I was awake, so I woke up, and all I heard was an almighty, and I went, whoa, I, said, what? I thought someone smashed the window, someone threw a stone at the window, so I got up, looked around, and there I looked at the biscuit jar, and the biggest crack on the thickest part of the glass, Simon, not even the weakest part, on the thickest part where it, it would it would take a a mild like hammer to smash that part, you know. But but it hadn't fallen; it had just cracked no, in place. It, just, it was sitting exactly where it was, but it, cr- it had cracked, like a crack underneath the bottom, just shattered. And uh, that same house again. I'm holding a pane of glass like this, going around. It was a pane of glass for my new wardrobe. Okay, might have been a pressure point. People, this is just this something that I was still find quite strange. That happened in this same house. I'm moving it around, and I'm literally the glass just shattered in my, my in my hands. I actually thought I was outside. I thought someone shot me. <laughs> That's how because it seemed like <laughs> as if someone shot the, the glass. Bang. Yeah, because yeah. I, I actually thought I was shot because it was just the way the, the whole glass just disintegrated in my hands. Um, so that went, and the other one was um, 
I used to hear all the scurrying going up and down the stairs, like as if it was rats, but there was no rats in the house. That's that's another thing. So, like you know, these little occurrences have, have happened. You know what I mean? Do you think now, as you get older, they're becoming less or becoming more? Uh, they're becoming, I suppose, do we, what's the word of looking at? Now, I have to be honest, since I've been involved in doing paranormal investigations, I don't really know what, what's the word of looking at? It's not whether I don't take it on, but I don't experience it anyway. I don't really experience what I was doing. I don't experience what happened to me now, back in the past. Maybe you're more, um, what's the word, used to the whole situation as well, because I suppose what happens to normal people who don't have any kind of um, relationship with the paranormal in a research way or anything, if something happens to them and they can't explain it, they're maybe more scared or they're more unsure. But because you work in that area, you're, you're, you know, it's one of your, your areas of expertise. Now, you can maybe explain things more and it's less intimidating. Yes, Simon. Um, the only concern I do have, and when we go out and do investigations, because, you know, I, I explained I have kids myself and, you know, I have, I, I, have, I have one of my kids there who I find very similar to me. Uh, when I was when I was younger, because and this is where I wanted to say about the dreaming. She tells me, and this has been going on from around when she was about four. I think something something to do with four or five, five. I don't know what it is. We kids were five. I think it's when we're all really susceptible or whatever it is. We're opened up. We're in tune with something. Something anyway. Around five, and if you notice going back and you listen to people's experiences, you always hear it happened around five or six, five or four. Do you know it's always five, five, five. And um, as I said, me. Yeah, so she's starting at one stage telling me that she was seeing, like she's nine now. And I think she's very sensitive to things, the same uh, incidents like that. So she would say she'd see shadows outside her door. She'd say that, um, what was the one thing she used to see? She used to see, there was a little, and, and even going back forward, there was a little kid. She used to like, I know they have these imaginary friends, but there was a bit too much where she would be playing with somebody really in conversation. So again, I don't want to be making her think that that's a dream. And I've never said that they're all you're dreaming. I let her deal with it in her own and she'll sleep maybe if she wants the light on at night. I'll let her have her light on. I'm not going to let her say, look, no light on. But, but look, she feels comfortable. That's it. But uh, as she gets older, I suppose I would tell her, you know, maybe it wasn't. It's just you're maybe attuned to hear and seeing other. Yeah, my, my, my own daughter, I have a daughter. She's 10 now. But I remember when she was about four and she said to my wife one day, oh, you know, the little girl over there. And my wife was like, what little girl? And and she freaked my wife out, you know, because she said this. And and you're kind of, you know, of course, like the whole imaginary friend thing. But you have to wonder sometimes, do kids see things that we don't see? And, you know, like I, I always think myself, you know, it's like when you were younger and when you were 14 and everything. I think there are people that have different energy and they're more in tune with some things. And they will see things throughout their life that other people would never see. And the the point being that maybe we just tune into certain frequencies or, you know, not, not to sound crazy, but to use the word dimensions. Who knows? But the point is, I think more people are susceptible, you know. Let's go from then, like you've had, you know, touches with the paranormal and, and things like this over your life. How did you actually then decide, you know, I want to look into this. I want to go into research and investigation. I suppose that happened by just watching the the TV programs way back in the the early noughties, I should say. They were mm, all starting yeah. to, like most haunted and 
Uh, and I was going to get back on to get touch talking about some of these two at the moment. Uh, but I suppose that really started driving me up because you would have seen some um, experiences where people were seeing, you know, the internet wasn't as great as it was even back in the 1999 or 2000, sorry, 2001, you know yourself. So it was more theater and TV. And you think, oh, that happened to me. What was the name of that guy? Derek Chisora? Derek Akora. Akora, sorry, yeah. I mi- I always mix his name up. Yeah, Derek Akora. But but the, here's the question I have, because I'm like, the thing is with me, I'm very open-minded, but I'm also a skeptic in the sense that I like, you know, I always think there could be things out there we don't understand. and But at the same time, there's there can always be explanations. So I used to always, like from having watched those shows in the early noughties, as you said, and then, you know, there'll be a lot of those shows where you're not sure if they're faked, if it's real. And even now, some sometimes I'll watch some of these American paranormal shows. And what kind of ruins it for me is you see something happening or you feel something and you're like, is this real? Is You just don't know. So a lot of the time it could be real and you could be seeing something actually happening on camera or on audio. Because they've had so many fake shows, it's really hard to know now. That's what's happening at the moment. And this is why uh, even uh, you're funny. You say you're a skeptic. PJ uh, Kavanaugh, who's the founder of PSI Ireland, uh, me and him, well, we both we've joined together to make the PSI Ireland. But he's been just like yourself, skeptic, go in with uh, an open mind and look at the situation. We, He would be, and myself too, would be one of those people that we are not falling for these TV programs. Have you ever noticed they cover themselves at the beginning, this is for entertainment purposes only. And that's, they're covered because that's where they can do whatever they want. It's more of a, I say it's like an adult event theme park. Do you know yeah. that sort of way? And well, well, I think what, you know, they're trying to do everything is entertainment now. And I, I remember even the time I watched the show about this shark that attacked all these people on a boat. And they were talking about it like it was real. And then at the end of it, they said, uh, this event never happened, but it's a dramatic reenactment of something that could happen. And you're kind of like, wow, they really pushed the boundaries between fact and fiction and reality. And it's a shame because, you know, it's great to see a a good factual program or documentary. And, you know, like I've read one or two books on Ed and Lorraine Warren, you know, and, and he had a very good book called Demonologist. And I mean, really interesting. And you kind of, you you know, you can kind of look at it and go, did these things happen to them? Did they have all these life events that, you know, were with the supernatural? But it's very interesting. But of course, some you can question and some you can believe. But I think they had whatever, whatever drama and entertainment came in later years with the movies. I think they had their hearts in the right place. They were trying to understand something like when like you imagine that time in the 60s. They weren't thinking of entertainment and television, I think. They were thinking of, I want to investigate what's going on here. Yes, correct. Um, like you mentioned there now about the entertainment side of paranormal. There's an, there's money now to be made for a lot of groups. Uh, I mean, there's there's groups, I'm not going to be naming any names, as you know, but there's people here buying, purchasing a house and then calling it the poltergeist house. Then charging people 15, 20 pounds. They go in, per person, they go in and... and Getting back to events, right? We have done one location in Ireland, and we'll put our hands up. I mean, it's 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 Le- I can mention it, it's Lep Castle and history of yeah, Lep Castle, yeah, and we yeah, found some yeah. great footage where even the Irish Mur and the Sun found. I mean, they're not obviously they're tabloid papers still, but they were intrigued by what we found, our evidence, 
And that's one place where we would say that that was worth actually going. Where they people would say that's an event, Lep Castle. But we have so many places around Ireland now where everyone's jumping on the band bandwagon. And we feel that it's just getting out of hand. So it is, Simon. It's actually putting a bad name on genuine paranormal groups because it, doing an investigation is nothing like what you see in TV. It can be very arduous. It can be very cold. It can be very boring sometimes. You know, it, it, it's L- long hours. Long hours. And it's like we have a saying in PSI Ireland when we're doing an investigation, it's like fishing. You could go out for seven, eight hours and you might be lucky just to get one bite. One bite, and even that is something that's that's been that's classified. That was a good night. So you go back, and you've got lots of reviewing footage, but you have to go through audio pictures. And what we've always tend to find ninety nine percent of the time, Simon, is that we'll only find out what actually we gathered days after the investigation. Nothing actually ninety nine percent. Ninety nine percent times nothing strange happens when we're out doing. No, nothing's dropping. Oh, there's a bang. Where did that come? Do you know? There's nothing like that at all. It's it's. See, that's getting back to these programs. You ever see where they go? Oh, there's a bang. There's a noise. But the camera turns around just when it's happened, and it's like, well, what happened? Recently, I was watching. Um, you know what's his name? Jack Osborne. You know, or Ozzy Osbourne's son. And they had a TV show where they were in Alaska and different places, and and you know, you're kind of they're checking stuff out, but. I mean, it's TV and it's entertainment. And the thing is, if Jack Osborne or anybody else does these shows and nothing happens, they're not going to sell that show. So this is the problem that people know in a way that they're being duped, but it's entertaining. And it's like, oh, I know it's not real, but it's interesting. But it's just the problem is, I think with any kind of research and investigation, it should educate you a little bit and it should say to you, you look, in, for example, in Lep Castle or any of those castles, these things happened here, but it's not what you think it is. And nothing ever happens here. Maybe somebody has an experience and maybe sometimes we get a little bit of information, but it's not what the tabloids or the TV would make it out to be. No, it's it's not nothing, nowhere near. Like, And we have this hope as paranormal investigators, maybe it will go back the way it should be because all it takes is one, like I said, the area itself of paranormal investigations is a very delicate area, and all it takes is one. You could ha- have this whole tower built. It just takes one person to do something that's very silly, and it discredits all paranormal investigators. Makes everybody to be fake. It makes everybody to be. And this is one thing that we have as a group. We've always kept the the golden rule. Like Simon, we could easily do. Like you look at all the stuff that's on the internet, you could easily make entertaining. You could do little net traps. You could do everything. But we, we're not we're not here to fool ourselves. We want to make sure is there something here. And I would like we'd all like to think that we're noticed for that. And I think that most of the followers are on our uh, Facebook page can see that. And we do come up with some great, fascinating uh, pictures, photographs. I mean, you do you, do you know yeah, yes, Castle yes, yes. in Galway? I mean, there's like a few pictures there. We, 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 and another thing, Simon, is when we do a post, we don't pit it out as if to say that, look what we captured. We captured a ghost and this woman. This, we let that, we don't pit, we started, we, when you think we've done it over a year, we don't pit circles around. We don't do arrows and they make people in, make them sell, they're thinking they see it. You want to let people see it as the way it is. And it's amazing how much people actually see what you've actually 
you know, what you find that you've actually captured. We, you know, we, we, that Blake family, I mean, we believe that's a lady from the Blake family, that Menlo Castle. Uh, we believe, you know, there's been so, we, it's mainly photographs that we catch too. It's, it's, um, you know, videography, not much so. It's more, and I think this is what it's going to say. Do you see mobile phones now? The t- people don't realize the technology on the phones are now starting to, we're talking about different dimensions there, Simon, today. There's a fella that we know from Carlo Paranormal Society, um, PJ Doug. His name is, and he's a great believer in technology because as we are advancing in technology, our technology is starting to get a little bit of a hindsight into this other right. dimension. Okay. okay. So, you know, we're, we'll pick up little bits and, and snippets from these different realms, we should say. And, and that's, and as he said, the, the, Another thing that we're going to get back to too, talking about that is that when we're going to an investigation too, uh, a lot of our equipment is electrical equipment. So that interferes. If we are demon, if we are talking about um, energy, energy is affected by electrical, you know, waves. So we're now looking at uh, we the quicker, the longer we set up, it can affect the whole uh, energy levels for that area. And that, that building for the night. So we try to get things set up very quickly. I think we like to keep it old school too, where we don't want to be having too many. Elect- we have lots of electrical plants, but we're trying to go limited to that. Well, well, and the other thing is because nowadays, obviously, you have Wi-Fi, you have elect- radio waves, you have so many types of energy you yes. bring to the house. So oh, yeah. it's kind of, it, it, I suppose it contradicts it a little bit because it's like if you want to find a little bit of energy, but then you put all this big energy in the house with phones, uh, DSL camera, everything, anything that has, you know, electric energy, maybe it's very hard to look for that small bit of energy that's in the Correct. house. And that's where we have to dissect it. And we have a, a camera. I don't know if you know an SLS camera. SLS, but- I've heard of them, yeah. Yes, we have that, and uh, we're looking for intelligent responses. So it will. It, the SLS camera is a monochrome system. It basically picks up what it believes a figure of a person um, in their joints, uh, elbows, shoulders, knees, and head, and that that sends out, I suppose, a famous. I never, I never was in it. Um, what do you call that? Paranormal activity. Do you know what? That, oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. That one. So there. That's exactly the same camera. It sends out uh, thousands of little laser beams, and it picks, tries to generate a person of a thinks to see something will show on screen. So we've had occurrences where we might do an investigation. That's a reliable source because we could be there for about six hours. We might just get one or two occurrences out of them six hours where there might be a figure appear, and then we'll say. Can you lift your right arm? And the right arm will lift up. Do you just communicate verbally or do you have another means of communication? We uh, communicate uh, verbally. Communicate verbally, yes. Verbally. Because, because you know when you see sometimes in these shows, they have this, I don't, and I always wonder, is it like a, a fictitious device where it, it picks up frequencies and then it puts it into a word? Is that Does that no, thing actually that's, exist? Um, uh, you, you call that... Uh, Oblivious, there's a name of Oblivious or some. There's a there's an app. These ghost apps and all, they don't they don't work. Uh, PJ, yeah, because I've 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 seen some of the I've seen some shows recently, and you know they um they say oh give me a yes answer or a no answer, and the machine goes, yes. yes or whatever, and it he, he's telling you oh um it's taking the radio frequency uh, of the spirit or whatever it is and turn, turn and you're kind of like but. 
really like audio engineers would have loved that exactly, equipment if you could get. I mean, and you said you're involved in music, so you would probably know you'd know yourself. Yeah, but, yeah. But no, Simon. Yeah. Uh, no, they're they're uh, as PJ, our founder, said that they're actually intelligently um, programmed. They learn. It's like you know our phones. Uh, do you know your job? If you ever like, for example, if you start speaking about um, like uh, say cars or you know bikes. Did you ever notice in a day or two later, you'll start getting advertisements on your phone? They're listening to everything you're having your phone. So these devices are exactly attuned, like these phones. Basically, these, I think I'm saying, I hope it's the same word. Oblivia, there's a name for it. They're like, they're, they don't cost cheap. They're hundreds of euro, but they're intelligent enough to listen to words and they're, they program themselves and they notice the, the most common words are said. So it stores that and then it'll say that when it knows it's the right time. So it's, you know, so, so in in essence, what it is, the manufacturers are making Correct. them to kind of trick trick the users into believing they have a good uh, function. Well, it's uh, either the users or they are they're aware of it, or they just love to entertain the audience. Again, it's getting back. To, it's entertaining people. I mean, that's what's all boiling down to. It's like there's so many ghost groups out there, paranormal groups. And I don't like saying ghosts. How many in Ireland? How many like research groups uh, are there? Would there's you say? Well-known ones, I would say about twenty. About twenty. About twenty. About twenty. But then is is it very political now where you know one says, Oh, uh, don't don't yeah. listen to those guys. Is it happening a lot? Well, no, it's 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 uh, silence. It's more silence and silence in the true sense, silence is a killer. Um I, I remember when we when we we're only we've only started off about two years ago and um I remember you, you feel that you can't say certain things about other people's works and they have this thing called about paranormal unity. We have we we at the beginning we're pitting this out and we wanted to do you know get very close to the other groups and um, like I said there's a there's a location here in Ireland and I'm not going to mention any name I don't want to say the name but we wanted to go and investigate it that's absolutely fantastic no no bother that'll be at uh, twelve hundred euro I don't think it and we said. Yeah, <laughs> really? So, so somebody wanted to charge. So, well, if that's what the going rate is, Simon, twelve hundred euro. So, we, do you know what Castellan House? We didn't have to pay a thing. And do you know what that was? That was the picture we got in the attic. We got a picture of a face in the attic where we believe it was Lambert, Walter Lambert, um, the previous owner of that. Didn't have to pay it. No, no, Castellan House. That's why. This is why, Simon. I want to get back to you about. There's loads of locations in Ireland where we can do investigations where we don't have to pay. It's these, like I said, all I will say, they call themselves the most haunted house in Ireland. That's what they say. The most haunted house in Ireland, anyway. And I'll tell you what, you're from Galway, aren't you? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you, there's a house in Galway, and I'm not even from Galway myself. You call it Woodlawn House. You know Woodlawn House? Yes, yes, Woodlawn that, House, yes. Yeah, that house, without a doubt, and I know from talking to locals and that's a house that is haunted and you know yourself, there's security around it. There's no one allowed near that building. Obviously, there was a fire back years ago and we've been trying our utmost to get into that house to do an investigation. We're trying the correct channels. We're not going to be trying to go into a building where we're not allowed because you know yourself, you're breaking an entry when it's boarded up and there's cameras. So that's what we'd call a house that's that has is interesting. Is notorious for being haunted or whatever. Oh, well, from the history, and I'll tell you what, I, even from my own personal, like I said, I'm not from Galway myself, but from doing a lot of research around Woodland, I think it's, I have a past passion, like a personal de facto that I want to personally get in there because 
from reading about the family, the trench family, you know, they weren't the, they weren't the nice people. The way they treated the people around the land. Th- that's really interesting because I know in Currafin there there was the Blakes, and they were uh, I, I don't know whether they're the same Blakes that were in uh, Menlo Castle or whatever. They could have been. They're all related. Yeah, but the, the Blakes there, I remember. You know, there used to be lots of stories, and you know, you'd hear and about when I remember there used to be when we were younger. They used to say, "Oh, the son took the father's car and drove it into the river," and you. You can see the lights coming across the fields at night. So, you know, Ireland is the best place in the world for stories and legends. And you know what I mean? So you don't know what's true growing up. There, I've always said there's a, there is a little, there is something that has made people say that there's a meaning from it. But I think either it's got overreacted. But there's a lake in Woodlawn House, uh, Simon. And I'd be very interested if I was a diver. I'd love to go down and look underneath that lake. And see what lies in the bottom of that lake outside Woodlawn, outside the property of Woodlawn House. Because I tell you from stories that you hear, they weren't the best of people. They look at them. He built that train line from Woodlawn to Dublin, um, that Fred Frederick Trench, and uh, you know he was accused of doing, uh, being abusive boys in the train, and purely got off purely on the technicality of who he was. Who he was. He, he was a powerful man. Powerful man, and do you, you know if he was able to blatantly do that on a train? And thinking, God, I mean, you'd love to know what was going on behind them walls in that house. And uh, uh, so, I think what's very sad is nowadays when we look back at the history of Ireland and all the bad stuff happened, and you know, like recently there with the thing with the tomb babies and the graveyard. And yes, I mean, yes. you, you have to wonder then, like when you go to a place where there's like a mass genocide or there's lots of bodies or lots of spirits and souls, you have to kind of wonder in that place, there must be so much energy. I remember, I remember when I went to New, the first time I went to New York and I went to where the Twin Towers um, monument is, you know, and I mean, I always wonder this when, when lots of people get together and they're in a place, let's say, like Auschwitz or somewhere it's very sad and things have happened. I always wonder, you get that feeling, or is it hysteria? Because, you know, lots of people together can have hysteria. Um, but I remember being there with my friend, and he lives in New York, and it was so sad there. I mean, and you don't know then, is that your own mind tricking you? Or are you feeling that sadness, that energy from all the people who lost their lives? It's a very strange thing. You're feeling that energy. I believe you are feeling that. And I'm a great believer that um, there's people, I've always had this uh, perception that you can be airbound. You know, if you're taken so suddenly and so tragically and with so, what's that word? With, with fear. I mean, there must be to think about the energy. We're talking about the energy that, that multiplied up by hundreds of thousands of all them people. And that fear has to create something, you know, that has to hang about. You know, so yeah, because because I think like no matter if you believe in the afterlife or you believe in ghosts or anything, the thing is, I think when people die, there is energy left behind, and whether it dissipates yes. or goes away, I don't know. But the thing is, uh, like, because you know, we all are energy, like we all have energy, and you know, you can feel someone's energy in a room when they're with you. So the thing is, who knows? Maybe the energy doesn't go away when they die, or maybe it does. But for some people, maybe it doesn't go away. That's true, Simon. And you just nailed that in the head again. You said about the they call what is it? They say um, empaths. 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 Yeah, There's empaths. a name for people yeah. like that where they're quite sensitive to people. I mean, I'm not going to be. Like being funny to you or whatever, but I know like one day a room there's there's like I remember years ago there was a certain fella 
were at work and once he came in, it was like as if it was a dark cloud, a black blanket. Just to, and just that energy from that one person would reflect on everybody. And that's energy, purely negative energy, and it rubs off everybody. I mean, it's we're all we are all energy. We're just a little we're a nucleus little thing. And I've always said, even when I was a younger, by 14, 13 myself, I would always feel that this is like a machine. We control it from wherever you are in the body. People say it's your heart. People say it's your brain. But we are an, something, an energy inside that that then has to surely, what's the point of living? Do you know, is it like, a, a, I mean, is it like going for an operation, a general anesthetic, and then it's just light? Surely, what, what's the point of living for 70, 80 years? And you've got nothing to to actually uh, go on for. Do you know, I can't, why, why, what's the purpose of being here for 80 years? The average, we live at 80. What's the point of being here? 80 or 75, what's the point? Do you know, so there has to be something surely after, Damon. Do, do you think that, you know, nowadays, um, with because obviously, you know, when you look at Ireland as an example, people are less religious than they used to be. So, you know, when you look back, whether it be in real life or, you know, Ireland being shown in the movies, religion and fear played a big part in how people were brought up. So like, yes. you, like you said about your grandmother, if you said to somebody, oh, um, I saw a ghost and they're like, no, no, there's no such thing as ghosts. But if you then yes. said to the same woman, but I, but you believe people go to heaven and they're like, yeah, but they go to heaven, but there's no ghosts. And so it's very confusing. And they go to hell. They go yeah, to hell. They go to hell. They yeah, they exactly. The devil, you know? Yeah. So, so this is the thing. I, I think there was a lot of confusion because obviously the church didn't want people to feel like, okay, you know, you either go, you, you either go to heaven or you go to hell, but you do, the limbo is not in between or people aren't trapped on earth. Oh, well, purgatory. 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 Yeah. But they, they, if you said it. to a priest years ago, does that mean purgatory is on earth and you're trapped here as a ghost? They'd probably say, oh, no, no, no. They're, they're gone. The people are gone. They're just in yes. another place. So yes. how do you feel the church has been over the last 20, 30 years in relation to like paranormal activity? Uh, well, personally, let's be honest, you know, they they have priests that specialize in um, exorcism, Simon. So they have they have some belief that there is a force that is there that is um, that they can't probably can't be seen to be going against. I mean, they don't have exorcist, exorcism. They don't carry out exorcism for no reason. And these priests are specially trained in the Vatican. You know, they go away out. So there has to be. The Vatican knows a lot more, Simon. The priests know a lot more than what they're letting on, if I should say. I mean, they're keeping it as, like you said, good, evil, uh, middle, you know, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Keep it for the simple-minded person. But, you know, I, I've heard stories where priests have gone in to do an exorcism when I was younger, where the priest would come, where I nearly had grey, his hair went grey a few weeks after doing, uh, a, a, trying to remove a, a spirit from a house. And did they, and he put a notice up saying that this house should never ever be knocked down. Because he trapped it in that bedroom, that priest worked on that house for a week. Nearly took the took the whole energy, drained them completely. I mean, surely they just don't train priests to be exorcism exorcist priests. They you know for nothing. They have they they've been, they know there is another force that does come into the re, the real world. And um, I mean, sorry, does your in your investigations? Like, what does it encompass? I mean, do you look at all areas of paranormal thing, or is it mainly to do with entities? I mean, for example, paranormal research nowadays could be UFOs and everything. So do you, do you say, no, no, our niche is only in this area. We don't look at those other things. Well, we we look at we look at the 
broader uh, spectrum. I mean, Simon, this you might you probably laugh at this when I say this now, but just recently, we done an investigation um, in a ferry field. Um, so you know, people believe in fairies as Tinkerbell and little no, as a man said years ago, Hollywood destroyed the the, the real fairy. Uh, we done an investigation. We just we done a recent investigation on a ferry field here in Ballinasloe. Harvey O'Gill and all that, yeah. Yeah, so they kind of Hollywood destroyed that, but you know, there's more meaning behind the ferries. And um, I'll tell you what, what an interesting night we had. We actually caught some amazing footage. We went up to where the white thorn meets the black thorn tree, where it's a meant to be a fairy portal. I mean, you've heard stories years where farmers have cut down a certain tree where they shouldn't really have cut down, and then within weeks they were either involved in the car accident, they were either died from a massive heart attack or do you know there has to be some belief behind the old fairy tales in Ireland do you know we're talking about folk- folklore this is the areas where we're starting to look at but we're taking it with a pinch of salt you know so it's not like like we said like the Derby O'Gills and you know my family uh, my fa- on my father's side they're from Carlo and in Carlo there's in Tullo in County Carlo there's a, a famous place there called the Ring of the Ra and the Ring yeah. of the Ra is like an old fairy fort you know Correct. one of these circular forts yes and yeah. my father said when he w- when he was younger they would see some strange things like he said one night he was in there and he was only like 12 or something and he saw a white rabbit like the rabbits weren't white. The rabbits were brown or hares, you know, uh-huh, yeah. and uh, they were uh, they'd be lamping, as they called it, hunting the rabbit. Yeah. But they saw a rabbit that was the size of a huge dog field in the middle of the fairy fort. And they could never explain what it was. And, you know, of course, when people hear stories from children and teenagers, they're like, yeah, but that's just imagination. But they are shapeshifters. And from speaking to uh, Pat Noon, uh, at Ban the Slow, who has, I believe he said it, there's thousands of fairy forts across Ireland, but there's only a certain few that still are working to today with with energy around it. His is being one of them, Kilconnell, Ban the Slow. Uh, everyone, now he's well known. He's wor- He gets flown out to America. They heal racehorses or certain horses because he's, he's got a healing touch whatever it is with animals, horses. He can calm the horse down or get them healed quicker. Like there was horses way up on their leg I mean he was I mean in fairness Pat is a great believer and all about I mean he's got two ancient burial mounds is on his land he's had archaeologists coming to him all over the place wanting to dig up these uh, mounds it's partly um, older than Newgrange you know Newgrange is nearly five and a half thousand five and a half thousand years old and there we go and getting back to Ireland again oh how ancient Ireland ancient Newgrange is even older than the, the pyramids of uh, Giza. Do you know, we're, we actually have a lot more history here in our own land around us that's even older than pyramids. I read yesterday that there's a Swedish um, like professor and he's very well renowned. And he has come out this week or in the last few weeks and said that when they talk about the legend of Atlantis, he firmly believes that Ireland is that place if it ever existed because all of the things from the ancient manuscripts and the maps and that contour yeah. of the land and the history, he said it only points to Ireland. So Correct. it's crazy because Ireland's kind of mythical and mystical. Yes. And we've lots of legends and fairies. So, I mean, who knows? Who knows? And hi, look at Hay Brazil. Yes. You know Hay Brazil? In, in Ackle, yes. Off the coast, the west coast of Ireland. That that Yeah, so it's only been seen so many years, seven years that would come out of... So, you know, that, that's that's on charts hundreds of years ago. Even I think it was around with 
Columbus, you know, that's they were all drawn on the, and you can see it on the nautical maps. High Brazil was an island. They had it. So, so as I was saying, we're, we're blessed as paranormal investigators to be living in, in a country like Ireland. Ireland is so rich in history. Very, very, you know, mythical. It has all the, you know, the makings of what would be, would be, be great, you know, for par- people. There's paranormal teams in America would, would take the arm and leg to be, like living in a place like Ireland to do investigations. I mean, you got to look back and you talk about America, look at the Red Indians. You know, they've been around there for thousands of years, you know, even before it was colonized America. I mean, think on all the the, the, the history on that land too. And, and they reckon most of the events that happen on, in America is due to, you know, it all falls back on most of the Red Indians of what the, the, the endure, what they had to endure you know, in their own land. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, no, it is. And and I think, you know, like when with Ireland, with the famine and the history before that, you know, obviously with the, the colonization from England, it's such a big history and a dark history. And when you have a dark history, there's going to be dark energy left behind, you know. So this is the thing. Can I ask you, um, like in, in some of the places you've investigated, um, have you ever felt like very malevolent kind of energy or things that really affected you after? Yeah, uh, I will straight up with you. And it's funny I say that to you, and it's only just been recently this happened too. It was a castle called uh, Lacking Castle in Tipperary. And that's where uh, the, the, you know, the, there have been sightings of the polka. Do you know about the polka? No, explain. I've heard of it. But have you heard the history of the Lacking Castle? I haven't. Explain to me about the polka. Basically, it's, I'm trying to know because there's so many castles, you, you kind of lose touch of who's the owners. But the owner of Lacking Castle had done a deal with the poker that they wouldn't, he wouldn't move them out of the house, or they wouldn't one or the other. But again, the land itself, it's all related. Again, get back to Cromwell again. You know, mm. of all the the takeover in the land and all. There's a lot of on on ease there. Apparently, there's a lady in white that's been seen in. Um, uh, in Lacking Castle, and we again got great footage of that. We were up right at the very top of uh, Lacking Castle, and it's one of the most well-preserved tower. We call it, they're, they're actually tower tower houses. One of the well most preserved tower houses, I, I would say, in Ireland has to go in the top ten. You can still go up to the stairway, right, right up to the very top. And um, we started uh, investigating a picture that one of our colleagues had taken. He had taken a picture and there's this tall, tall, big black shadow. He's adamant. He swore. And like we know, we're not there to fool each other. There was nobody in the room. But you can see the tall figure. And this all was on live too. You see, we, we tend to do a lot of live investigations, uh, Simon, so people can see that we're not fooling anybody and it's not all staged. Mm. And um, all of a sudden, I, I was holding the camera at the time. And my back, my back just literally went on my left side. And I said, Chief, I said to Anthony, can you hold the phone? Whispered to him. You'll probably, it's all on the page. And I give it to him. He goes, yeah, no problem. I took the phone. And then within a couple of months later, and what I didn't tell, that's what it was. I didn't tell Anthony at the time that my back was sore. My back had gone, but I didn't want to say mm. that. Just, you just take the phone for a minute. And then all of a sudden, Anthony goes, oh, 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 my back, my back. And I said, what? I said, it goes, my back. I said, oh, geez, Anthony. That's exactly what's happened to me, and this is all happening live. I said, "That's what's why I gave you the phone because I couldn't get, I couldn't hold the phone. Could be back, wanted to get me back, get yeah. straightened." And then for a couple of weeks after that happened, I was I I I had a very bad 
a very bad uh, pain all the time here in my left. And I, feel, I felt like the only way I can describe it was like a slip disc. That's the only way I could describe it. And even one of the other guys said too that we had to leave that night. We had to leave the tower house. We're feeling as if you're feeling that you were very sick and you had to get out to get out of the building because you were feeling kind of repressed when you were inside that castle, that tower house, I should say. It's a, it's called castle, but it's a tower house. And uh, you felt that you were being repressed and we like you had to go back out to get a bit of fresh air. Uh, PJ himself too that night, we, we all felt something that night, like going down your back. And Simon, getting back to the old ways that night, we were doing old-fashioned um, technique, smoke, using smoke, what you know, their ancestors used to do thousands of years ago trying to communicate with spirits. Mm. That's what we were doing that night too. There's a picture there with, it kind of looks God's honest truth. I mean, I don't even need to tell anybody. You can look at it and you see it again. It looks like something from thousands of years ago. A picture of somebody stand, sitting, looking at where the, I don't know, them little smoke bombs mm-hmm. create, lets off smoke. You know, yeah. Little, little smoke. So what I done was we lit one of those, we lit one of them up and you take lots and lots of pictures, just keep taking pictures and you're hoping to see something. Because energy, if we're talking about energy, it takes a lot less for a spirit or en- an entity to use its energy to communicate through smoke because smoke is seen to be a, a natural source, you know, yourself. like yeah. uh, So then actually asking that they touch something in a physical form, it's going to take a lot more energy. But it looks like there's something that that night is sitting down like as if and like a Neanderthal kind of looking person looking at the little light flame from the smoke bomb. And that was all in the occurrences where I had my back incident. And that, that only caught me up a couple of weeks ago. That went on for about nearly five, six weeks, my back. And I never even went to the doctor about it because it was more, it was manageable. But it always goes back to when I was going up that damn stairs to Lachine Castle and then my back just all of a sudden went. Wow. And I've never had an experience like that where it actually has um, felt physical from it. How do you protect yourself? I mean, because you, you guys as a team, if you think, you know, some of you can be more skeptical than the others. So when you go there, how do you say, okay, we're going to, how do we protect ourselves? Do you have rules and guidelines you go by? Yes. Yes. Uh, we never go off on our own anywhere in the actual investigation. Before we start an investigation, we say a prayer. Um a protection prayer so we do we ground ourselves with salt so we put salt in our boots our shoes could be any salt uh the worst case scenario pj has salt that's blessed by a priest specializes in exorcism so you know that's they're getting back to about the priests again so you know and afterwards when we finish an investigation we say we say again a prayer of protection and basically whatever is here is to stay here and not to follow anybody home or follow anybody to you stay it's, it's and it's more respect to for them and we've always this is another thing i mean a lot of people i see in tv if they, they are looking they do investigations on tv they are i mean they're doing it but they're very aggressive you don't be talking aggressive disparage you've got to remember these were people before you know they were people so you last thing they want to be is be shouted at or given direct orders so yeah we're always we always kind of end it off in a nice sort of you know at the beginning prayer protection and at the end again prayer protection and we're always oh yeah we're always protected i mean at one stage i used to carry uh which i should start doing again is i always carried me my blessed rosary beads you know because whatever you've special to you you have it as it's it's your energy and that it's protects you 
it's something you can believe in. Yeah. And, you know, like when I was mentioning when I was mentioning Ed and Lorraine Warren, I remember in their book, he said they said one of the main reasons they didn't have children was because they felt that the world they operated in was too dangerous uh, and children were too vulnerable. So, I mean, for obviously for you being a father and for the other guys being parents, maybe do you ever have that fear that you bring something with you? Correct. That's exactly what why I think I touch base there back there saying that, you know, with me, all the young one kid there that has the experiences, I'm worried about doing some things, worry stuff and latches onto me. And obviously not to me personally, but I'll try to get to the children. That's one of my main concerns. That's correct. That's why it's very important to do our uh, pr prayers of protection. And that's, you know, yeah, that's, that, to be honest with you, that's in the back of my head. Yeah, definitely, Simon. I wouldn't, yeah. I can't say, oh, no, I have to worry about that. No, no, that's that's a concern. Yeah, it is a concern for what I do. No, I was going to say, there is sometimes where there's an incident or something might happen in the house and one of the, the eldest kids might say, that's you, Daddy, bringing that's them, them ghosts back from your investing. Do you know what I mean? So I'm thinking, Jesus, yeah, maybe the kids, let me just start. Do you know, they could be right. You know, no way. It could be. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? And, and the the thing is, I suppose it's in the back of everyone's mind. But have you ever known anybody who's been involved in paranormal research who thought, no, I can't do this anymore because it's affecting them or maybe they felt more vulnerable? Um, no, the only we could say that there's one or two that I know that it's just it takes it, they're just giving up. Basically, they're. Uh, it takes it takes a mental drain on you, uh, and, and it's funny you say that, Simon. If you ever go out in a paranormal investigation, and when I say an investigation, you're out from nine o'clock, maybe eight o'clock at night, and you're going right through to maybe three or four in the morning. There is uh, a thing called we call we call it. It's like a paranormal hangover, where you will go to bed when you get back from the investigation, and the that. That following that same day you wake up, obviously because you're back in the morning, you wake up or eleven or twelve, you would feel that you were out, say, in a pub all day the day before, like you've drunk 15, 18 pints. But it's like not a sickly hangover, but it feels that you've you've had a rough night. So and you get that feeling in certain places. We got it in Lep Castle, we got it in the Hellfire Club in Dublin. Uh there was one or two other locations. You don't get it in every place you go. So there are certain energies that could do that to you, Simon, where you feel that you've been hit for 10 the next day because that means that they've been taking a, such a straight, they've been draining you, your energy as much as they can, but you don't physically feel it at the time, only until the, that same next day or the, the same day or the next day. Do you know yourself when you wake up from your sleep where you feel that you've had a rough night the only way I can explain it is like you've been out in the pub all day. And is there, I, I know obviously there's, they say there's certain times, the witching hour, 3 a.m. and stuff, but is there certain times of year in, in Ireland that there's more activity or, you know, can you pinpoint certain seasons? No, no, we're not even at the stage where we've done research in uh, Ochnanur Castle uh, out near Otterod, where we've done an investigation during the day. Uh, we believe that spirits don't have any concept of time. Time means nothing, Simon, the spirits. As human beings, we're governed by time. When they're spirits, they're not governed by time. The only reason why people assume it's nighttime, everything happens, because everybody kind of shuts down in the physical form, the physical world, I should say, shuts down. Everyone finishes work. Everything becomes a little bit more quieter, so everyone's quite attuned 
the uh, anything happening at night. So no, we speaking on ourselves have done investigations during the daytime. We would get, if not more activity, the same activity as we would at nighttime. Um, so there's no time. Uh, the witching are were a question mark about that between that three thirty three and three o'clock. No, we we don't I don't we don't really believe in that fully, Simon. To be honest. Right. Yeah, I can I can imagine, you know, there's lots of things that have been fabricated and made up over time. And, you know, people in, in, in at night when it's dark, you can see less. It's all to do with the ambience. That's all it is. Everyone thinks doing an investigation at night, it creates that ambient mood. It's got that lovely dark and, oh, do you know, things can happen in daytime just as much as nighttime. And we have had like I said, done investigation in Ochnur Castle and the EEMF, the electric magnetic field reader that was given off intelligent response, the PJ's questions at the castle. It was bleeping when it needed to bleep. It bleeped when the, I should say, it bleeped when questions were being asked and it's like replying back with the bleeps. One, two bleeps, two, ble- you know, so two for yes, one for, so, and this was during the day, Simon. Right. You know, in when you look back now, you've, you've been in doing this research for, you know, a good few years. Um, what was the first time, you know, you went into a house that you felt was haunted or that there was something there? Can you tell us about that experience? Yes, Simon, that would have to be Castle Ellen House. Uh, we had a psychic medium that was brought off in Dublin to do an investigation. Um, Castle Allen House, I don't know if anybody is aware, but there's holds a lot of history. Just um, for our listeners out there, we're, just to let you know, Castle Ellen House is a house that's situated between Tune and Athenry in County Galway. And it has a long history. It was built by the Lambert family and I think it was built around the 1800s, early 1800s. And for sure, it has a long and dark history, I think. It goes right back down to Oscar Wilde and uh, Edward Carson. Uh, that night when we carried out the investigation, the psych medium had told myself personally, Richard, that there is something up in that attic. We ended up to the attic and I took a picture and we had video footage of the actual attic and we came out with there was a face that was seen um, on the actual pictures when we reviewed it. Uh, it actually got that much notice. The papers even picked it up. And do you think was the face? Was it someone from history? Did you ever, you know, follow it up? And did you kind of, did anybody ever say to you, oh, that could have been this certain person? Or, you know, what was the result of the investigation after that? Uh, yes, Simon, we believe that the face that we captured was Walter Lambert, um, who actually passed away in a hotel in Chum. Not not that far away from Castle Ellen House. He was there re- eating his breakfast and apparently he choked to death. And uh, we believe that from speaking to locals that the horses and carriages that were actually drawing his remains into the property refused to actually cross the gates of the house. Now, this is backed up with lots of evidence um, and it's just, it's, it's there clear as day to see. Uh, so we we were very intrigued by listening to that evidence and to have the actual face and to mirror image uh, Walter Lambert's face against what we captured. So there's no mistake in it. Even we've had radio stations phoning us. They actually seen the face and they said that is actually a face. 
There's no manipulation. It is clear as day what you see. Yes, I mean, it's quite interesting for sure. I remember being in Casalellan House oh, maybe eight, nine years ago because I'm from Carfin, but obviously I was living in Athenry for a few years. And I remember one day me and my wife, we went in and their, the owner at the time had taken it over. And I remember walking around the house. We just asked him, could we have a look around? And he said, no problem. And we walked around the grounds. But I remember my wife saying to me, she said, there's a funny energy here. I didn't really pick up on too much, but she felt like there was a weird energy. And she, you know, she felt it. She just said, there's feels like things have happened here, you know, and it's so it's weird. And we didn't really know an awful lot about its history then, you know. Uh, from my personal perspective, Simon, I wouldn't think your wife wasn't wrong. I think your wife was very, very uh, probably attuned to what the actual feelings that she was getting from the building. Uh, from my initial feelings, personally, myself, I can only speak for myself, was that the uh, building does have a lot of energy. I mean, you have to remember, you have Oscar Wilde and Edward Carson. Uh, you have the biggest case of the century that stems from, you know, from Castle Ellen House. You know, in, even from Castle Ellen House, you have actual Catholic, the Castle Ellen direct from Castle Ellen House. You know, so there, there's lots of history uh, regarding that house and the property. Uh, the current owner was actually uh, kind enough to let us do an investigation. Uh, he's not, a, he, he doesn't believe in anything that what, what we do, which is, you know, it's his belief, but he was kind enough to let us go out and carry an investigation. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't, now your, from what your wife was saying to you, Simon, I would have to agree that, yes, there is an energy around the, the, the field and the, the actual building. And I say field, around the land, I should say. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the land because she said she felt the energy more in the garden. You know, when you're looking at the house, there's like a garden on the right hand side and it's kind of like some walls around there and it looks like the land has been covered over and i think there's like a courtyard behind and she felt just in that section we were there with our dog walking around and she you know she felt more something more there than actually in the house you know and and she's not i mean she's not like she doesn't um be having that kind of thing regularly it was just that i remember that vividly now as you were mentioning castle ellen house so it's really interesting isn't it i suppose people different people maybe can tune into different energies and some people feel it more than others you know but yeah it's it's quite an interesting place you know for sure yes yeah, simon there's lots of uh intriguing history about castle on the house i mean it, it even gets more interesting because when you actually put the uh the evidence out there online or as much as you let people know what we capture people will slowly come to you and talk to you about did you experience this or did you experience that i mean uh, for for instance i had a gentleman that came to me and said that uh he w he was actually driving down the actual same road outside castle Land house outside affin ray and uh there was a no no do want to talk about a year or two years ago and there was a wild horse where it actually bolted out in front of him in the car. But luckily, luckily, he didn't actually, um, you know, hit the horse. But at the same time, it nearly caused him to have an accident. And it was so strange to hear him talking about, you know, his story, his experience to me, after me 
listening to, well, researching, I should say, not listening, but researching what actually happened with the horses at the gates of Castle Elm House. And, you know, not to mention too, Simon, I, I forgot, I did actually forget to mention the actual horses too that were actually stabled in Castle Elm House refused to, to actually cross the gate to collect the actual remains of uh, Walter Lambert. So, you know, that, I mean, that, that purely goes down to show that there is some sort of, uh, you know, paranormal energy around the property. So, yeah, it is quite interesting, all right, because, I mean, there's so many probably old stories from around that area. Can I ask you a question? Can you explain to us um, what's your kind of methods when you turn up at somewhere, you know, that you think could be, have some kind of energy there, could be haunted in some way? What, what do you do? Do you do like a preliminary examination and then come back a different time? How, what's your usual method? Can you explain how you, the whole operation works and what happens when you actually go the first time and then when you come back and return visits for longer investigations? Just, you know, for people who are curious how it all works. Yes, yeah, and what we normally do is that we will go out to a location and we would separate ourselves as individuals and we'll go around and spend about half an hour to 40 minutes walk around a certain location in an area within the um, the perimeter that we're actually going to investigate. We will then jot down notes and what we'll do is we'll keep those notes and keep though every, every um, sort of th- uh, thinking and feeling that we've had and keeping personally and, and we will then, before we do the investigation, match up any sort of, um, you know, mash it all up, see if we have any sort of comparison that we thought the same sort of thing, how we felt. Um, but you see, this is when we go out on our own because we're lucky, we're blessed here in Ireland because, as I said to you in the, um, you know, in the previous conversation there, Simon, we're, we have history here in Ireland. This is a paranormal investigator's dream. We we're absolutely have locations here that's even older than the pyramids of Giza, Do you know, because going even as far as back as Egypt, everybody goes on about Egypt, and you know how you know we can go. We have we we have got places here, like example Newgrange. Newgrange is even classified as as older than the pyramids of Giza, and that's only one location here in Ireland. Do you know, so we all need to start focusing on what we all need to do here at home, personally. Like I said, we all go out, we do our investigations, we're guaranteed to get some sort of activity. That's a fact. But it's down to being respectful too, because you have to be respectful, because you have to remember people that you're trying to communicate with were once people or were once beings who are from above. So, you know, you you just have to um, start, you know, Taking, dissecting, uh, I suppose, dissecting little pictures away from things and looking at bigger picture. I mean, that I, I'm so interested in a lot of this. It's really good. And there's so much we can talk about. I think I think in a few months, it'd be nice to have you on the show again. And we can we can go, go into more detail about some of the cases you've dealt with and some of the, the things, you know, because um, there's so much to talk about. And I mean, it's been brilliant. You know, I I I love I love talking about this. As I say, I'm an open mind. I'm an open-minded skeptic, and uh, for me, I like to hear both sides of the coin. 
if something can be explained, it's brilliant. Yeah. If something can be explained, great. Science is a wonderful thing. But sometimes it's nice when you have that bit of mystery too, no? That's absolutely perfect. That's absolutely spot on. Yes, you. It's we always look and like you said, we have PJ who's a skeptic. We have to look at it and we have to dissect it. We look at the whole situation. Was it they do with? Uh, can it be light? Can it be with they do with maybe a car? Could the voice be a person passing by? That's why when you are doing an investigation, like you know, you need to be having a lot of cameras and you can go back on it and look and see. Was it could it, so you're basically taking away what could what what isn't so you're, you're breaking it down breaking 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 until you come up with saying that is just unexplainable. Brilliant, yeah, it's true, it's really good. So listen, Richard, thank you very much. I'm sorry to have to cut you short, and and as I said, we will have you on again soon. Um, but it's been really entertaining. You've been very insightful and educational for us, and hopefully people will go and check out your website and you'll give me all the links and we'll put them on. And I want to thank you very much and, you know, happy Christmas. And, you know, um, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thank you, Simon. Okay, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. That was Mr. Richard Morrison from Paranormal Supernatural Investigations Ireland. And I think that was very interesting. And we learned a little bit about, you know, some of our paranormal world in Ireland and some places that could be haunted and I look forward to having Richard on the show again to find out more there's so much more to find out okay so let's talk about next week's show you know we're going to have a all-star cast here playing on the show with us we have acts such as Neve Regan Martina Flaherty Michelle Lally Dave Clancy Collective Whisper Park Stevens and Leo Moran The Deans John Keneally The Half Landing The Rains and maybe one or two more acts let's see what happens um, all of these acts are contributing their time and their talent and it's all in aid of the Goa Simon community who are you know we're supporting them this year and we are helping them to raise awareness and to raise some money hopefully for you know their cause in Galway and they do a lot of good work and we hope you can help us and we hope you'll donate and you know think about other people this Christmas that are less fortunate also remember everybody you can donate on our Facebook page or you can go to our website www.collectivewhisper.com and donate there also and we would greatly appreciate that thank you so that would be very exciting and we look forward to seeing you then so everybody take care till then and we will see you on Christmas day and enjoy your Christmas Eve and everything before it take care and happy Christmas Thank you.